You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. If you'd please turn your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 3. We're kind of, we're at the start of this new year and if you're like me and many others, we kind of reflect on the past year and we look ahead to the coming year. And as we look over, back over this previous year, hopefully we see some areas that we've grown in our walk with the Lord. We've had victory in our lives. And if you're like me, you have see a lot of areas that you can continue to improve in. Um, so as I was praying about the direction the Lord would have me take for this month, lesson, one, of the, one theme kept coming to mind, and that's in the area of obedience. The pastor kind of touched on that last week in his message. Um, it was con- that direction was kind of confirmed in several different ways over last weeks, especially, like I said, during pastor's message about how to have a joyful new year. He spoke about having fullness of joy by abiding in Christ, <clears throat> and that abiding comes through obedience. But then obedience comes through love. And then love comes through knowing. And I'm sure that you can think of illustrations in your life where, where this is true. Um, as you get to know someone better, you begin to love them more and more. Um, and something that you probably notice is I teach very often, I end up coming back to the attributes of God every, at least every other time, every other, I, you know, I get two months out of the year, and it seems like at least every other time I end up coming back to that because knowing God and knowing about who he is and, and his attributes does breed that love. And that love then tr- translates into obedience. Um, so, I, so today I'm going to start out again reviewing the attributes of God. And I think I'm going to go into a little more depth. Um, and as I, was, as, I'm, as I was laying out the lessons for this month, um, I wanted really to focus on the grace and mercy of God. And then how, for me anyways, those two attributes in particular are really attributes that just cause me to love God more. Um, so I probably will get through the attributes today and then um, next week we'll get into the, really delve into the grace and mercy more. And then we can talk about obedience in the following weeks. Um, so if, if you're in Ephesians, I'm just gonna start in verse one. Um, this will be my jumping off point. Um, it's kind of an arbitrary place to start because the entire Bible is full of the grace and mercy of God. Now, the reason I'm starting here is that I've been studying through Ephesians in my personal devotions, and it's still fresh in my mind. This chapter came to my mind when I started thinking about the grace of God. <clears throat> the grace of God. And Paul, throughout his writings, he, he continually talks about the grace of God. So this is Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles... If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, Lord, how that by the revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the, God, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, 
given unto me by the effectual working of his power. You see there, that's a, that, that grace that God gives us is a gift. It was given unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. He just reiterates it. He repeats that it's a gift. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning. Lord, I come before you in humility and gratitude. Humility because you've seen fit to allow me to, to speak and to teach before your people, Lord. It's a weighty and heavy thing, and I'm so inadequate, so incapable of doing justice. But I pray that you will fill me with your spirit. Just move me out of the way, Lord, and so that what I say today is nothing of me and all of you. Lord, I'm grateful for all that you are. You're an amazing and awesome God. And I thank you for your word that so clearly describes who you are. I pray that this study today will help us to love you more and drive us to desire to be more obedient to you. Yes, this in Jesus' name. Amen. So much of our faith relies on what we believe about God. So, like I said, this, that's why I wanted to, again, review his attributes, his perfections. Deuteronomy says, I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. So, like I said, I've done this before, but I just want to do it again because I feel like that's where the Lord has led me. So I'm going to start with um, just going through the attributes of God, and I'm just going to throw a lot of scripture out. I'll give you the references, and I'm going to read the scriptures because I think the, the Bible just describes who God is so well. So the first attribute that we look at is that God is incomprehensible. It means we can't wrap our minds around who God is. Job, one of the heroes of the Bible, had this to say in Job 5, verse 7 through 9. I would seek unto God, and to, unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. And again in Job, uh, chapter 11, verse 7 through 9. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, um, verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse 11, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. No matter how hard we try, we cannot wrap our minds around who God is. So grateful for Scripture that gives us words and it explains it to us, but even, even the best understanding that we have is nowhere even scratches the surface of who he is. His next attribute is that he is self-existent. This means that he exists because he exists, because of who he is. No one created him. He just exists because of who he is. In Exodus 3, 
verses 13 and 14 we read, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. There's only one being in the entire universe that can say that, I am, because I am, and that's God. In Revelations verse one and, uh, or chapter 1 and verse 8, he speaks and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and was and which is to come, the Almighty. He's always been because, and he's always existed because of who he is. He's also self-sufficient. That means that he doesn't need anyone or anything to exist. Acts 17, verses 24 to 25 tell us, God made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. This is closely related to his self-existence because, as we'll see, all of the attributes of God are interrelated. But self-existence relates more to his origin, how he exists because of himself. He exists because he exists. Self-sufficiency takes it an, another step farther. He continues to exist because of himself. He needs nothing external to himself to, to, to continue to exist. Not only that, but all things exist and continue to exist because of him, as we see in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And by him all things consist. That word consist means hold together that he is holding together everything that exists by, the power, by his own power. So God is self-sufficient. He is also eternal. Deuteronomy 33:27 says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee. He has always existed, and he always will. He has no beginning, you can see, again, how these attributes are interrelated. He's self-existent because of himself, and he has always existed because of himself. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We see the, lofty, the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. He has always been. And in the Psalms, Psalm 41, 13, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. In Psalm 90, verses 1 through 4, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return ye, children of men, 
For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. So God is eternal. God is infinite. So as we're studying through these different attributes, as we look at each one, each one of these attributes are infinite. So his eternity, he's been, that's infinite. His love, his grace, his faithfulness, as we get to those ones. Remember that each one of those is infinite. King Solomon in his prayer of dedication of the temple said in 1 Kings 8, verses 27 and 28. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Yet thou, yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today. So we see that Solomon has this understanding that although he's built this house for the Lord, God cannot be contained in that house. He understands that God's lowering himself to allow his presence in the house that he's made with his hands. And again, his infiniteness applies to all of his other attributes. So he's infinite in his perfection, his purity, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, his mercy, his knowledge, his wisdom, his power. There's no end to any of his attributes. In Psalm 147.5, the psalmist realizes this when he says, Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Everything, everything about God is infinite, beyond measure. God is omnipotent. There's a reason that he's called the Almighty God over and over in the scripture. I looked and 37 times that exact phrase is used, Almighty God, and there's another 20 some odd times where he's just referred to as the Almighty. Genesis 18:14 asks the rhetorical question that has an obvious answer. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The obvious and expected answer is no, there's nothing that's too hard for him. In the Gospels, Matthew 19:26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And again in Luke 1.37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And in Revelation 19.6 we read, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That's pretty amazing when you think about that, that we can come and we can kneel before him and ask him anything, and he has all power in his, within his control. God is omnipresent. It means he's everywhere. The psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12 asks, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. 
And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yes, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. It's pretty amazing when you think about that, that no matter where we are, he's there. Jeremiah 23, 24. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? This is one of those attributes that should comfort us, but also kind of should fill us with fear. The fear should be of sin because he is omnipresent. He's there and fully aware of our sin as we commit it. It's got to be a sobering thought for us. But the comfort comes in knowing that no matter how alone we may feel, that he's also there, wherever we are. We're never, never alone. God is omniscient. That means he knows all there is to know. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. I read that one a little bit ago, just talking about his infiniteness. But this is talking about how he knows everything. Uh, when Pastor did the study of the attributes of God, this, I copied this definition down just because it, was so, it seemed so perfect for this one. And so this is the definition that, that Pastor did a long time ago. He said, God possesses without any prior discovery of facts. He doesn't have to figure anything out or have someone teach him. So God possesses without any prior discovery of facts complete and universal knowledge of all things, past, present, and future. So that means that he sees all things. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. This reminds me of a funny thing that happened last weekend. Um, after the message, we were, I was going, um, I was with my family, and one of my kids said, I was talking about something that was bothering me, and, and she said, the joy of the Lord is in every place. <laughs> and I said, that's close, but not quite. It's the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. But she was reminding me to keep that joy in my heart, which was awesome. <clears throat> so he sees all things. He knows all things, whether it's big or small. Every little detail in the universe he knows about. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows our thoughts. Psalm 44.21, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. In Psalm 139.2, says, Thou art acquainted with all my ways. He knows our words. Psalm 139.4, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. He knows our deeds and our actions. Psalm 139.2 and 3, Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. So he knows what we think, he knows what we say, and he knows what we do. That should be 
again, sobering to us and that we should be careful of what we say and think and do. But also, he knows our sorrows. Exodus 3, 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. He also knows our devotion. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. He knows when our heart is perfect toward him. But he also understands and he knows our frailties. Psalm 103.14 says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. So he understands and he gets that we are frail human beings. He knows our foolishness. Psalm 69.5, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from, me, from thee. And he knows his own. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. That's pretty amazing. God knows us. God is all wise. Jude, verse 25 says, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and, now and ever. Amen. To the only wise God. Ephesians 1.8 tells us, He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So with knowing that, that He has all wisdom, we have a pretty comforting promise in James 1.25. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So the infinite source of wisdom, if we just ask him, when we lack it, he'll give it to us. We serve an amazing God. God's immutable. That means he doesn't change. He hasn't changed through all of his existence, he's always been the same. He doesn't falter. He doesn't waver. He doesn't get wishy-washy. He's unchangeable. Malachi 3.6, prophet speaks, he speaks through the prophet, and he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. In Hebrews 6, 17 through 19, speaking of the covenant promise of God to Abraham, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. That immutability of God is an anchor for our soul. We know that when we anchor ourselves to him, he's not going to change. He's not going to drift. We know exactly what, he's, what he expects of us. We know exactly how he's going to respond to us because promises like if, anyone, if any man who lacks wisdom asks for it, he'll give it. That promise is sure. The promise was good 2,000 years ago when it was written, and it's good today. God is sovereign. 
That means he's in control of all things. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, God says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. Yes, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. He's saying, look throughout history. What I've said, I've done. I've caused things to happen. I'll continue to cause things to happen. I have declared what will happen from the beginning, and it will happen. So we can trust and we can stand on his promises. He's in control, and that means nothing happens which he has not either ordained or allowed to happen. When we apply this to our lives, it can bring great peace because we can rely on his sovereignty. Coupled with his other attributes, we can rest assured that Romans 8.28 is true, that all things work together for those who love him. Another of God's attributes is that he is light. 1 John 1, 4 through 7 speaks of this. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, with one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And Peter, in 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God brings light to any people living in darkness, any situation when God comes in, the light comes in. That can be a scary thing if you're trying to hide your sins in the darkness, right? But it's also an amazing thing when you can confess your sins to him and know that he will forgive them. God's inscrutable. This kind of goes along with being incomprehensible, but um, it, it's, it's a little bit different in that we just can't figure him out. We don't understand. We don't know all that he knows so that we, so that as we're trying to understand what God's, what God's doing in our lives, we, we, we just can't understand it because we don't have the whole picture. We don't have all of his knowledge. We don't have all of his love. We don't have all of his other attributes, all of his wisdom. So when we're trying to figure out what's, what God's doing in our lives, many times we just can't see it right now. And he speaks of this, in this through the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. And he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the important thing to remember with this one is that Many times, God's will may not make sense to us at the time, but it's perfectly clear to him. We don't have all the answers, but he does. One of my favorite attributes of God is that he's faithful. In the book of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah says uh, in chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. 
And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 36, 5, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Our immutable God is faithful. He's always faithful. He doesn't change. Think about myself, how unfaithful I can be. And I think, why would he be faithful to me? But he is because he's God. He's faithful. God is holy. <clears throat> this is the attribute of God that encompasses all his other attributes. This, the attribute of holy, holiness speaks to his uniqueness. The verse I read just a minute ago says, I, he, where he said, there is none like me. There is none like him. And all of his attributes come together to describe who he is. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 5 through 16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So our holy God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be like him. Obviously, we're going to fall short, but he has promised to be with us through that and to help us as we strive for holiness. God is true. Everything that he says, everything that he does is true. He's the standard by which we can measure truth no matter what the world is saying, no matter what anyone is saying to us. We can measure truth against him. John chapter 17 verse 3 says, And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And further down in the same chapter, verse 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we have in our hands the truth. The word of God is truth, because he is true, and he has spoken those words. God is good. In the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7, we read, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. The Psalms are full of David and the other psalmists proclaiming the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 28, 25, verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Psalm 31, 19, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Psalm 34, 8. This is one of the first verses I memorized as a kid. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, blessed is the man that trusteth in him. We could go on and on with so many, so many verses. But he is good, which is, which is good for us, because if he was not good and he had all power, and everything, then we would have much to fear. But because he is good, we can, that is something that's awesome for us. God is love. 1 John 4, uh, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, 
that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. God is love. God is just and righteous. This would be a fearful thing if it weren't for the, for the next attributes coming. God, again, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, declares in Isaiah 45, 21, There is no God else beside me, a just God and, sa and a Savior. There is none beside me, a just God and a Savior. That's our God. The psalmist says in Psalm 7, verse 9, For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reins. So this one, like I said, this one would be really scary if it wasn't for the next attributes. God is merciful. Psalm 136 tells us that his mercy endureth forever. As we read through that psalm, I have it here. I was going to read through it, but I'm, for sake of time, I won't. But Psalm 136 is that, that psalm where he says, it starts out and it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then it goes through all of the things that God has done and it was continuing to do for Israel. And at the end of it, he kept saying, every, at the end of every, every statement, he would say, for his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. He remem who remembered us in our low, low estate, for his mercy endureth forever. And hath redeemed us, for his mercy endureth forever. All of those things that God did for Israel, did and it continues to do for us, for his mercy endureth forever. God's mercy is his withholding from us the punishment that we rightly deserve for our sins, those sins for which his justice and righteousness demand payment. But God is also gracious and merciful. God is gracious, which means full of grace. Psalm 116.5 says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous, Yea, our God is merciful. It wraps that up right in there, right? He's righteous, but thank, thank him that he is also gracious and merciful. God's mercy allows him to withhold that punishment that we deserve. Psalm 89, 14 says, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. God's grace allows him to freely bestow unmerited favor. Things that we don't deserve, but he gives us anyways. Ezra 9, 8. And now for a little space, grace, grace has been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, namely hell. Revelations 20, 13 to 15. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. But continuing on, grace is getting what we do not deserve, namely heaven. Revelation, continue right on from in Revelation, we'll start chapter 21 with verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, 
and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So I'm going to stop there as, as we look at, that's the last attribute, and those last two that I talked about today are the ones that I want to, I'll continue on with next week. So as we close today, though, I, want you, I would really like to invite you to meditate with me this week on the grace of God. Reflect on it and marvel on it and allow it to help you to know him more so that you can love him more, which will lead to more obedience. As I've been studying this out, I've noticed something amazing. I think I, I, th- I, think I see it at times, but it just became so clear to me as I was studying this time that as I study each of these attributes of God, this time I've been focusing on grace, I start seeing that attribute everywhere in every biblical account that I read, in nearly every passage of scripture that I read. I think it's because my heart is in tune with that. That's what I'm focusing on. And I just, I started wondering about why is that? And it started, it, it started making sense that the Bible is the word of God, the very word of God. And his attributes are going to be intertwined in everything that he says because they are who he is. And so those attributes are just wound in there. So as you're studying different attributes, they'll start jumping out at you no matter what passage of Scripture you're reading. Um, you know, this week I was reading, uh, I think it was Genesis 3, and the grace of God just leaped out of that. So it's just, it's, it's awesome when you start studying these things. You see God's attributes just coming alive out of the, out of the pages of Scripture. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.